So, Lord, let us just take this time, this short amount of time, this next 45 minutes or so, Lord, and just worship you in our study of your word, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that we hear from you today, Lord. I hear it's your words, not my words. That If there be anything in my notes or anything in my speech that would not be of you, Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you remove it now, Lord. Lord, just speak to us and teach us, Lord. Just let this be a time, Lord, that we can just gather together as your children, Lord, and just learn more about you. Because, Lord, we know, as we see all these things happening in our society, we see people falling away, Lord. We know that we need to rely on the truths that are in your word, Lord. Not how we feel or how we think, but the truths of your word, Lord. So let's dig in deep into your word, Lord, with you. And teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone's got a Bible. So last week, we kind of started a new season or a new chapter as we've been going through kind of a series. And now, as we've been walking with Jesus and walking with the disciples, we've been going for two years, and now we are at the point where it's Jesus' triumphal, triumphant entry. So now we're to the last seven days of Jesus in Jerusalem. So last week, we saw Jesus enter the city. We saw him enter on the colt into Jerusalem. This last week of Jesus' life, before he would allow himself to be placed on the cross as our sacrifice for our sins. So as we get into this, I've stressed this last week, this is seven, this last seven days is just amazing and rich in the different teachings. So as we learned last week, we saw Jesus enter Jerusalem on the colt. We saw how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that had been set before. Now today, it's kind of interesting. Again, we're going to see some different prophecies fulfilled. So I, I find that really, really amazing when we can study through this and we can see these different prophecies fulfilled. Last week, we saw the people recognize Jesus. We saw them laying down their outer clothes or their cloaks. We saw... As they laid him on the ground, we saw as they waved the palm branches and welcomed him. But unfortunately, as they welcomed Jesus into the city, the people, majority of the people, still had a, a very much a misunderstanding of who Jesus was. Now, I asked everyone last week to examine your life, to look into your life. As we've seen the people in last week's teaching lay down their outer clothing, lay down at Jesus' feet to... A, to allow that donkey to walk on their clothing. I asked everyone today to look this week and see if there's anything in our lives that each one of us maybe need to lay down at Jesus' feet. And as we closed last week, I we went to Romans and we had the reminder of what we are to lay down. We had the reminder that we are living sacrifices to be presented to God each day. And this is the attitude that we are to have as we face each day, as we go out to do what Jesus has purposed and called each one of us to do. So now, Jesus, we saw last week, he entered the temple, right? He entered, he looked around, and I asked the question, what did Jesus see when he looked in the temple? But then I didn't answer it, did I? Because I said, you got to come back this week to see what he saw. So this week, we're going to go back to that. Now, we know that Jesus, after he looked around on that day, he actually went back home to where he was staying. So today, we're going to continue the story. So it's the morning. 
And now Jesus and the disciples, they're heading back into Jerusalem, back to the temple. And that's where we're going to start our text today in our passages. And now, imagine, just take a minute as we get going. Imagine Jesus as the man, as he's walking in. How do you think, I mean, there's, people have a lot of different opinions, but I want you to think about Jesus and think about how would Jesus carry himself? You know what I mean when I say that? How would, what type of mannerisms do you think Jesus would have? What kind of tones would he use when he spoke? What kind of body language would he have used? Think about that as we get into this text. So let's continue this journey with Jesus. Everyone, please turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead... He began to weep. Let's just stop right there. Let's take a minute and try to get a better understanding just simply of the word weep. What does that mean? I looked it up to try to help myself even get a better understanding. So I'm going to give you the dictionary kind of version of it and see what you think. It says to sob or to wail aloud, to mourn. To lament. Now, usually in this situation, this type of weeping or mourning would be done as in a sign of pain or grief that you are experiencing. And typically this would be brought on by pain, this pain or this grief would be brought on by mourning, a mourning for a lost, you know, person that has died. So it'd be kind of typical. This, this was a very much an outward expression of emotion, a way to express for any of us could, of how we were feeling to express that emotion outwardly. Now, this passage starts stating Jesus wept. I thought about this as I tried to define. I thought, when was the last time I wept? I ask you, when was the last time you wept in this way? Typically, for most of us, I can think back, the last time I really felt this way is at the loss of a loved one. Someone very close and dear to me. And as a man, I tell you, it's usually not publicly for me because it's kind of, you know, it's like when I'm alone, you know, it's like I'm all strong and then later I would weep perhaps. But I'd like this pain, this grief that Jesus is experiencing, he's experiencing it as he's coming into Jerusalem, as he's looking at the temple, as he's looking at the people. So what was causing Jesus to feel this, to weep? Think about that question. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard or studied about Jesus and weeping, is it? I want to turn to John. We're going to look this up. John chapter 11. Everybody, John chapter 11, verse 33. We're going to read that, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. Now, we know this story. And we see that Jesus was deeply troubled. And as you continue, it says, They told him, Lord, come and see. Then verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? 
Then Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. Now I've taught on this before. And we see that Jesus here is weeping. Now, when I taught on this, there's some different opinions on this, but I believe when Jesus saw this, and in this situation, the reason Jesus was weeping is I believe, I really do believe this, is he saw their unbelief. And I taught that. That Jesus had started weeping because he saw the people did not believe in who he was. They did not have faith in who he was. Now, you can see in the passage in we're in today, as Jesus grows nearer to Jerusalem and looked upon Jerusalem, he's weeping. So, think about this, this weeping. Imagine this. As we still continue to think of the question of why he was weeping, I don't think this was Jesus just as he's walking a few tears coming down. I don't think that was the case at all. It wasn't a fleeting thought. And Jesus just, you know, a few tears combined, he continues his journey. I really think this was a crying out in pain. I really think this was him truly experiencing an emotion and it really coming out in him. And especially in the Jewish culture, this was pretty common. I think at times even, I mean, we don't know, it does not say, but I really could see this. In times I could see Jesus even drop into his knees and crying out in tears. I could see... Jesus looking upon the city, looking upon the people, knowing what was going to take place. Knowing what was going to happen to his city and the people that were in it. And I think this was very vocal, very, I mean, just emotions pouring out. I really believe that. So let's continue back in Luke chapter 19, verse 42. How I wish today for you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late. And peace is hidden, hidden from your eyes. As we look at this, I think we have to look at another definition. Do you see the word peace? Do we have a proper understanding of that word and what it means here? So I looked it up again. I'll give you the dictionary version, it says a oneness or a rest, a quietness, a state of tranquility as being an exception from rage or havoc of war. Usually, this could be between two individuals. Another definition of peace is harmony or security, safety, prosperity. Now, In this context with Jesus, as we look at this word peace, this Messiah's peace, this is the peace between us and God. And it's through him, through Jesus, that we can have this peace, which leads to our salvation. So I think we've got to have a proper context of this peace that Jesus is speaking of. So as we look at this peace, it's in salvation. It's the it's it's that, that peace, that state of our soul, when we are assured salvation through Christ. That's the peace he's talking about. And so that we would fear nothing from God and be content with our relationship between us and God. That's real peace, no matter what's going on around the world around us. 
The Amplified Bible, I love the Amplified Bible. I read it this way, and it expounds on the word peace. It chose the word to expound on. It says, for freedom from all distress that are experienced as a result of sin, and upon which your peace, your security, safety, prosperity, and happiness depends. It's a very detailed definition of the word peace, isn't it? I kind of really went into it. But I think we really got to have a clear understanding of what this peace is that Jesus is speaking of. What this peace is that Jesus is offering all of us to understand that. So Jesus, in this verse, do you look back at that verse? He's saying his wish. Do you see it? You see Jesus' wish? He's saying that his wish is that everyone would come to the knowledge of how to have this peace. Now, this words in this passage is the same today. Jesus still, his wish is still for everyone to have this. Now, we do see a problem in this verse. Do you see a problem? It's very sad. What do we see a problem for the Jewish people in this particular instance? Look at verse 42 again. What do you see? And peace is hidden from your eyes. It says, but now it is too late. These people should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And they should have accepted Jesus as their Messiah. And as you look back, as I told you earlier, we're going to get into kind of seeing a little prophecy revealed. This very day that Jesus, the day that Jesus had entered Jerusalem was prophesied in Daniel, in chapter 9. The very day was prophesied 483 years, to the day, to the hour. These Jewish religious leaders should have saw this. They should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. It's also the day, we're not going to turn there, but in Psalm 118, verses 22-26, it's also mentioned. The Jewish leaders, they had this. They had the scriptures. They should have seen it. But these Jewish leaders, they would reject Jesus as their king. They'd refuse to accept Jesus and God's provision for their sin. They've refused salvation through faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They've missed the opportunity to have their sins forgiven. They've missed the opportunity to become true children of God. I want to I pray for everyone here today. Don't make this mistake. These people had an opportunity. They had Jesus standing right in front of them and they missed it. Everyone here today is not here by accident. Everyone here is divine appointments are here sitting here today. This this free gift that Jesus is offering to have this peace is offered to every single person here today. That free gift to have your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven. The free gift to have your eternity secured with Jesus in heaven is there. Don't miss this opportunity. I pray that no one would miss this opportunity. All Jesus asks for anyone is just to turn from your old life and turn to him in faith. It's a scary truth that we just read, isn't it? You see that? That there is a time that it is too late. It was too late for these people to come to faith in Jesus. It's true. It's hard. Sometimes you read some things and it's hard to know that this peace that Jesus offers, this peace with God, they were blind. This is why I believe Jesus was weeping. I asked that question earlier. Why was Jesus weeping? 
I think it was because this peace, this gift that Jesus was offering, it was forever now hidden from these people. This is what I believe grieved Jesus as he walked into the city. I played with anyone here today. If you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do not be like these people in this story. Because, you know, I don't want it. Jesus would weep. And I'm weeping now, just calling you to know this is a fruit. Don't miss this opportunity. Now, it was these peoples in this story. It was their unbelief. It was their lack of faith that prevented them from understanding that it was Jesus who would provide this peace. Now, I, I tried to think of another way to look at this. This grief that I believe Jesus was feeling. Has all of us been to a funeral before? I think everyone here has been to a funeral. All of us have felt the grief that you feel when you lose a loved one in your life. We understand that grief. Each one of us experience it differently. And we experience emotions differently. But we've all experienced some form of grief. But think of this. As you go to a funeral, I think many of us have experienced two kinds of funerals. There's a funeral that we go to of a loved one that we know they knew Jesus. And we know they're in God's hands. We know that Jesus has welcomed them and embraced them. Then there's the other kind of funerals, isn't there? The ones that we go to and I've been to that we know that they didn't know Jesus. Loved ones of ours, family of ours, friends of ours, that we go and we know, unless by miracle there's something we don't know, they didn't know Jesus. And you think there's two kinds of grief there, isn't there? For me, there is. When I go to a funeral and I know that person is with Jesus, I rejoice also, even though I still miss that person. But to go to one where I know they missed the opportunity. And I've been to sudden deaths. I've seen it happen. Two different grief. I think this is a grief that Jesus has experienced. He knows what's going to happen to the city and what's going to happen to the people. And this is why he's grieving. As we continue this text, um, I think we'll see more of this as we get into the next few verses. We'll see that Jesus is not just, I mean, he's weeping over the people and what's going to happen, but he's also weeping over the city. We're also going to see some a little more prophecy as we get into the next few verses. I think we see that Jesus, in this weeping, is first, he's weeping at their blindness. But then, he's weeping at the result, right, of what's going to happen. And then he's also weeping over the tragedy of what was going to befall on them and the city of Jerusalem. So let's see what happens. Let's look at verse 43 and 44. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. As we read this prophecy, I want to take a minute and I want to look at a little bit of history and a little bit of future of the temple. I, I personally find it amazing when I read the Bible and I see uh, certain passages that were written thousands of years before and then we see them fulfilled. I find it amazing. I, I think just find it amazing to see prophecy come true and knowing also that there's still many prophecies that are still to come true. 
Um, so just a quick history lesson on temples, because we're talking about that now. So the first temple was built by Solomon, right? 968, roughly. Now we got an, a wonderful, uh, right here, we got a wonderful presentation of this. You can look at it. The first temple period is what I'm talking about right now. But then we know, as we know our Bible history a little bit, is destroyed by the Babylonians, uh, about 586. Now, again, the temple was rebuilt again, the second rebuilding, about 5, uh, 515 B.C., then we know in about, there's a lot of wars and a lot of stuff that took place. But in about 19 BC, we know that Harold came, kind of took over, did some remodeling, um, some good and not, a lot not so good. <laughs> um, but Jesus is prophesying in this text, right, of the destruction of the temple. Now this prophecy that we read here was fulfilled in 70 AD. We know that. Forty years later, this prophecy was fulfilled. The Romans killed over, there's different numbers, I looked it up, but we'll just go with this, over 600,000 Jews in 70 AD and destroyed the temple. So the temple has been destroyed completely two different times among all the other fighting and all the other things that's taken place. And still to this day, there is no temple, right? Now, it will be rebuilt again, though. There will be a third temple to fulfill prophecy. This prophecy is mentioned in Daniel 9.27, 2 Thessalonians, and Revelation. And according to the scriptures, this third temple will be rebuilt before the second, in between the tribulation, before the second half of the tribulation. But then again, if you look to Revelation 6, you would see that the temple again will be destroyed. But, this time, it's destroyed by God. This is when God will come at the end of tribulation in his second coming. And then he will rebuild the temple. And this will bring on the millennial times where Jesus will rule here on earth. And you can look up, this is told about in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Um, it's just, I find it absolutely amazing that we are reading right now a story with Jesus. And yet there's still events to unfold. I find it amazing. I know some of you, maybe you hear some of these prophecies and I'm talking about the temples and some of it may seem a little confusing or I don't know. But I tell you, I find it amazing to know that the God we serve has all of this worked out and all of this planned out and has absolute control over time and all the events that will ever take place. And when we see prophecy, we can kind of get a glimpse, just a glimpse of how mighty our God is, which I find just amazing. And, you know, when I read these things and I see it fulfilled and I see that uh, these prophecies are fulfilled, it, it really strengthens my faith in who God is. It helps me understand of the God that I serve and the God that I've dedicated my life to. So when you look at prophecy, some of it's kind of confusing and hard to see. Just remember the God we serve is so amazing. He's outside of time and he knows how this is all going to work out. So it's just, it's amazing to me. Let's continue. Let's get into a little bit different part of the story here in verse 45. I asked you last week, what would Jesus see when he went into the temple? So let's look at verse 45. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. Uh Oh, these shops, if you look at a map of the temple, you can see that these shops and these marketplace was set up in the court of the Gentiles. It was a special area set up 
inside the court for the Gentiles to come worship. Because if you know, the Gentiles couldn't actually go inside to certain areas. And so they had all these shops. It was a big marketplace. And, you know, we in Myanmar know what a busy marketplace looks like. So you think about it. Think about the market just down the street. If you go in there at 7 o'clock in the morning, it is. You can't even walk through there. It's noisy. It's crowded. Everybody's bargaining. It's selling stuff. There's trash everywhere. I don't think it looked probably much different. Right? And this is supposed to be where the Gentiles were to come to worship. Can you imagine us having fellowship and church service in the middle of that market? Right now? That's what it would have been like, right? The Gentiles have come from far, far away to celebrate Passover, to offer their sacrifices, and the one place they're allowed to go worship is a big Walmart or a big market. It would be very difficult, right? Now, this wasn't the only problem that Jesus saw, was it? The people there, they weren't just setting up shop, they didn't just have these markets, but they were also taking advantage of the people. These people that had come to worship God, these people in the market in God's temple were cheating them, charging them 20 times the price they should have been charging them, taking advantage of them. This happens today, unfortunately, still some places. Now, this wasn't the first time this has happened, is it? This isn't the first time Jesus has saw this kind of behavior. Turn to John chapter 2, verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the table exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove the sheep, cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor and turned over their tables. Now this is the second time we're looking at this today. Jesus has returned back to the temple another different year and he finds the same problems, the same sin, the same merchants defiling the temple of God. As we continue, I want to look at this story of this temple in a different context. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6.19. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Listen to this closely. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. We are, our bodies are, a temple of the Holy Spirit. So think about that as we look at this story, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, what does your temple look like? Is it pleasing to Jesus? Is that Holy Spirit is living in you, residing in you? What does he hear through your ears? What does he see through your eyes? What things do your eyes look upon? What thoughts does he hear from you? What type of temple are we to the Holy Spirit? Please pray through these questions I've just asked. Pray about it this whole entire week. Now let's look at Jesus' response back in Luke. 
So I can't answer them questions for you, but I ask that you would seriously pray about that and look into that. Let's look at verse 46. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus was upset. He was angry because of what was taking place in the temple. Now, as we see Jesus upset and angry, I asked you earlier what type of mannerisms or what you, how you thought of Jesus, right? Think about this. The title of this message was Jesus' Passion. Jesus never sinned, but this was righteous anger. I'm not sure if we as humans are even capable of it. I don't know. Jesus was angered at sin and an injustice that was taking place in his temple. I don't know if we're capable of this kind of righteous anger, but I can tell you there's a great lesson here for us to see. We can ask ourselves the question. We just I just went through it. We are the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and we are God's temple. So is there anything inside of our temple that Jesus would drive out? Is there anything that Jesus would see in us that he would not tolerate like he saw here? Is there anything in our own houses that needs to be removed? Think about that. I recently have been reading a book on spiritual warfare. And as I was reading it, it was talking about some idolism and some idols. And I'll tell you, as we're talking about, I'm actually talking about my actual physical house. We went through my entire house and looked. Is there anything in this house that need to be removed? And we found some items. If it be movies or if it be a little statue that's a gift from someone or if it be, uh, there's a lot of different things. And we went through my entire house and looked. Is there any apps on your phone? Is there, uh, the list is endless, but have you took an inventory and went through your house, I mean your physical house, and say, are these things of the Lord? Are they edifying to the Lord? And I tell you, I got rid of a few things. And now, as I talk about my physical, we also, our bodies, we have to go through that too sometimes. We have to examine that. We got to clean house once in a while and examine ourselves. Is there anything in our lives that needs cleaning? Now, as we think about that, and each one of us can examine ourselves, I want to look at Mark 11, chapter 17, because it gives us a little different context. Mark 11, verse 17. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned... It into a den of thieves. Mark adds or includes something that wasn't in the other verse. A house of prayer for all nations. I think that's important. It's important for us to remember, I think, especially in this culture. A church is never, ever to be inclusive. And I see it. Every person, I don't care what tribe, what social status, male, female, education, rich, poor, I don't care who you are, you're welcome to worship with us. And every fellowship, every church should be the same. There should be no inclusivity within a fellowship of Christians. 
And we will follow this example also as we spend a lot of time today, right? It's like, it's, it takes time, right? But we will be a house of prayer. We will hear people's prayer requests. We will hear praises and we will pray. We will be a house of prayer. So this is great instruction for us. Let's get to the last two verses for our study here. Verses 47 and 48, back in Luke. After that, he taught daily in the temple. But the leading priest, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they couldn't think of nothing, because all the people hung on to every word he said. As we read that, actually, I want to read Matthew's also, because I think he gives us a little different perspective. So I want to turn to Matthew chapter 21. Verses 14 through 17. Matthew 21. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priest and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught the children and infants to give you praise. Interesting, isn't it? After all of this has taken place, after Jesus has rebuked the people that were defiling the temple by setting up these marketplaces and taking advantage, Jesus responds. What is it now? These people that came, they sought out Jesus after this. They were seeking healing. They were coming before Jesus. And Jesus healed them. Jesus responded and performed many miracles as these leaders watched on. And they saw what Jesus was doing. And all, just think about this. As this is all, I mean, think about Jesus caused all this commotion. Now all these people are coming. They're getting healed. And as this is happening, the children are singing praises to Jesus. They were singing praises to Jesus in the admiration of who he is. Just imagine that sitting there. What a beautiful picture that would have been to sit there and watch Jesus laying hands on people as people gathered around as he's healing them, as he's ministering to them. And there's children there singing hymns and psalms to him in admiration of who he was. I could sit there all day. Wouldn't that have just been amazing to sit there and watch that take place? As the religious leaders look on, there's nothing they could do. This, they saw what was taking place. They heard the children, and they felt threatened. They were threatened by the thought of Jesus being worshipped like this. They tried to have Jesus rebuke the children. But Jesus quotes Psalm 8, 2 to them. You have taught the children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Then we see the leader's response in verse 48. You see it? Did you notice in verse 47 who was against Jesus also? Look at that. Who was against Jesus? The leading priests? The teachers of the religious law? But there was other leaders of the people. This is new. This is new. Who are these other leaders that are against Jesus now? I personally believe this is the other, this is the business leaders, I think, of the marketplace. 
These are the ones that are done and fed up with Jesus tearing up their marketplace, taking money out of their pockets, cutting into their profits. This is their busy season. Uh, two times now he's done it to them. They no longer was going to tolerate it anymore. So as we close, there's many points or lessons I think we can look at this scripture and many points we can learn. And I hope the Holy Spirit spoke something to you, something through these passages that you can take from this and apply it to your life, something that, that you would uh, take this week and remember all week. I'm going to look at a few lessons I believe I saw, and I want to look at it verse by verse. Look at verse 41. Let's just start there. Let's turn back there. Back to Luke chapter 19, verse 41. We see the heart and the character of Jesus and his response to those who are lost. Many people, they've asked the question, how could a loving God allow a person to go to hell? You've heard that question. How can a loving God even have a hell? I've seen it in the media all over lately. This is Jesus' response. He weeps for every lost soul. Look at verse 42. We see the people in their continual rejection of Jesus. Their continual rejection that led to spiritual blindness. Now, possible this rejection was because their expectation of who they wanted Jesus to be, he didn't meet their expectations. I think... Sometimes we can make that mistake. We think that if we accept Jesus in our lives, everything in our lives is going to be great. It's not really who Jesus is. We live in a lost world. And sometimes there's difficult situations. So our expectation of Jesus needs to be the correct one. And I think that you can see in this story that there comes to a point and that we can only understand it in God's sovereignty that there is a person, there's a time that a person will become blind to Jesus' call to their faith. It's a tough one to understand, but it is the truth. And it is in God's sovereignty uh, that we can know this. Look at verses 43 and 44. We do learn here that there is a time of reckoning. There is a time that all will face that refuse to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 45 We can see that Jesus hates sin. And we can even see that he becomes angry, especially when it's in his own house. Now, we were reminded that we are, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Once we have received Jesus and we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we, again, we must ask, what does Jesus see in us? What does Jesus find in our own house? Now, I think it's interesting. I think we kind of see a little bit of a time. What's the first thing that Jesus does when he enters the temple here? He goes to remove any sin that was present. He cleans house. This applies to us, I think. I think he's got to clean up. We have to clean our own house sometimes, right? And then we will be used by God. I mean, it's not absolute. But Jesus, he cleanses us. He teaches us. And then he uses us. That's a very common thing. Now, how would you describe your body or your temple? The temple of the Holy Spirit. How would you describe that today? Think about that. How would you describe your own temple, your own body, the place where the Holy Spirit resides? 
Think of that description in your mind. Would Jesus agree with your description today? Look at verses 47 and 48. There will always be those that come against Jesus. But we can continue in faith and be like these children singing songs and worshiping. I think we see through these passages, we see a passion of Jesus. Very passionate. I think that he gives us an example that we don't see in a lot of other verses. I mean, he comes in, he cleans house. But we also see him weep. Very passionate. I think that we as Christ followers could be a little more passionate and follow Jesus' example here. If we felt that same kind of loss that he felt when he weeped for the lost, our actions would be a little better, I think. If we felt that way, the same way that Jesus sees people, to see what's going to happen to him, to know what's going to take place, to feel that emotion. So I ask that we'd all have a little more passion. And the second part is, there might be some spring cleaning needed for some of us. We need to understand our bodies is God's house. It is his temple. So you know what? Once in a while, we need to look at our lives and look at all the things in it. And maybe clean up, clean his house up a little bit. Because, you know, as we go through life, we start really good. You know, we're worshiping the Lord. But I'll tell you what, things creep in all the time. It happens to all of us. We're all guilty. Things creep in. I had to go through my phone the other day and delete some apps. Right? Sounds strange? But I didn't know when I got them that, you know, maybe there'd be some bad things. But as I started seeing some stuff on there, I'm like, this is not appropriate. But they still were on there for six months. But then I... I I read this and I'm like, I gotta go through my life. I gotta go through every aspect of my life and clean house. If it's your phone, it's your laptop, if it's your personal relationships with others, if it's your finances, it goes, this goes through our entire life. So if the worship team can head up, I'd like to pray. Hopefully we can, the Holy Spirit spoke to you today. As the worship team heads up, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we see your passion, Lord, passion for the lost, we see that you weep for those that have not come to faith in you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would come to understand that kind of passion for the lost that we see here, Lord, that we would understand what was going to happen to these people, what was going to happen to your city. And Lord, we would see this through your eyes because that would come us make us come to realize of all those that are around us that are not made a decision to follow you, Lord. To understand that passion that we would have to go to them, to talk to them, to speak of the love and the mercy and the grace that you have for them, Lord. To be able to explain that to them in a way, Lord, that they you would use through your Holy Spirit living within us, that they would come to understand who you are and the love that you have for them. They would You would come and understand that you want to see no one no one perish, Lord, and that you weep for those that are. And Lord, as we see you going to your temple, Lord, and we see that you saw sin, sin in your temple, Lord, and we know that today, Lord, we are that temple, Lord, that your Holy Spirit lives within, Lord. Lord, if there is anything inside of our lives that would not be honoring to you, that would not be edifying to you, please reveal that to each one of us, Lord. Just bring it right up front and obvious to us, Lord, so we could rid ourselves, so we could rebuke whatever that would be in our lives that would not be for you. 
Lord, I know it's tough sometimes. Sometimes we like them things in our lives, Lord. We enjoy them things. Let us not, Lord. Bring them forward to all of us, Lord, that we could live a life that you would look upon and you would say, good job, faithful servant. Lord, we praise you, Lord. Let us just go out this week with passion. Because I think you had passion, Lord. I don't think, you know, some people think that you just kind of walked around and talked softly, which I think there's points in your ministry you did that, but I can also see this was not that time. This is the time where you spoke boldly. Let us go out boldly with passion, Lord. Sharing your love for all of us. We praise you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this amazing time to spend in your word. Please bless our worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.